Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. you ever had somebody ask you a question, and it could be recently or, or, you know, quite a while, but they ask you a question and they make you rethink something about your life, okay? They make you evaluate something that you're doing in your life. So they can, they can ask you a question and you begin to think in terms of, man, I should be doing something different or maybe I should be changing something or altering. So um, recently this happened to me. And it happened to me about, um, I would say, probably a month ago. And I was at work, and somebody came, and, and it, here's the thing. Before he asked me the question, I knew I needed to do something. So it's not like, you know, it's, it, was, it was a light bulb moment for me. But anyways, we're sitting there, and uh, he asked me, he says, hey, do you have any hobbies? Now, I'm looking at myself going, well, no, not, not really. I really don't have any hobbies. I mean, if you count watching sports a hobby, <laughs> then maybe it's a hobby, but it's not a hobby. And I thought about this ever since I moved here a couple years ago and just kind of hit the ground running. I've never really had a hobby, and I didn't really have a hobby much throughout my whole life. But there was one time in, in particular before, before I had kids um, that I would, uh, one of, I, you can consider it a hobby, but I don't know if it's considered a hobby if you do it once a year, right? But I would go play golf. And um, the, I would play golf once a year, and everyone would go, well, how good are you? i go, well, I can break 100. I shoot in the 90s. I play once a year. I can shoot in the 90s, right? Now, most people, here's what you think. You think you can just go up there, take the ball, I mean, take the club, hit the ball, and just hit it. No, it's completely different than that. And if you think that you can just get up there and whack the ball, your ball's going to go right every time, and you're going to get frustrated, so I, I, would, I was um, thinking, you know, I play once a year, and I would play, well, then I started playing a little bit more in the summer, because when it gets 120, nobody wants to play golf, right? So we would go out in early in the morning, pay nothing to play 18 holes, and, and after a while, I would, you know, get a little bit better, but I never got past the 90s. And if you don't know, 90s, okay, so let me explain golf to you. You want to get a 72, okay, or below, that's really good. So if I'm shooting a 90, I'm, 20, I'm taking 20 more shots than I have to. So as I'm going through this time, um, finally, one of my friends worked at a golf course. And he's like, Joe, I can get free golf. So and when I'm working or not working, if I call you up, you want to play? And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's just let's play any time. So we started playing like once or twice a week in the summer. And man, it was heaven because it was a nice golf course. I mean, we're talking resort course. Uh, it had a major hotel. It, it's just, it was wonderful. And, he's, and we're playing twice. And I got down to about the 80s. I think I shot an 80 or 82. So I shaved off 10 strokes by playing twice a week, just for three months. And I was like, this is heaven. But there was, as I got here, you know, I haven't really picked up a club in a long time. I think when I first came out here, I played in January and it was like this. The weather was windy and cold. You know what? I gave up after four, four holes. I was like, this is dumb. Who wants to play in this? So I really haven't picked it up. But, but the, the thing is, I tell you the story and I tell you a hobby is because a hobby is that you do something over and over consistently. And whether it's golf or whether it's something else, there's, there's this idea that if you do something over a period of time, 
that you're going to be successful at it. See, if I don't play golf anymore, and I really don't, what happens is, is I'm not very good. But the principle is this. The principle of life is this, that consistency pays off. Consistency over time pays off. So if you're consistent, if you make one decision and you do it for a period of time, you are more likely to be successful at what you're doing than if you don't do it and if you're not consistently or if, you're, if you do it randomly. Now think about it in terms of this. Parents, we know this principle is so true that we tell our kids if we want them to get good at something, right, we tell them to practice and practice hard. And maybe you growing up, your parents would say, hey, if you want to get good at this instrument, you want to get good at this sport, then you practice and you practice hard. Because we all know what? Hard work gets you somewhere. If you do no work, it gets you nowhere. So we have this idea that it pays off. Consistently practice, you're going to pay off. But not only that, we do it with students, right? We want students that when they grow, we want them to, um, in, in school, we want them to have good study habits and consistent study habits, Right, Not just one time, but we want them to consistently over the time and the course of time to have consistent habits and study habits so they can be successful in life. Think about it in terms of marriage. Do you know a marriage does not end at the ceremony? It actually begins. See, because for guys, you know, it's like, oh, we put our best foot forward. Like, okay, we got this. This is great. And now, you know, we're married and it's good. But it's starting, and if you want a healthy marriage, if you want a growing marriage, if you want something that's going to last a long time, then you have to consistently do what you did before you got married. And I'm not saying I'm great at this. I'm not saying, you know, all of us are. But you have to continually date over a period of time. Because if you consistently date your wife and and do that stuff, there's a formula for a lasting long marriage because you you're, you're basically interested in her even when the kids are grown out of the house see most people what happens is is they get kids and they're so involved in their kids lives that they forget to get to really know their spouse and when their kids are gone it's like i don't even know you see but if you consistently know each other take time for each other you'll have a long lasting marriage even when your kids are out of the house and think about this if you know if you wanted to start a habit you know what you have to do you just have to do something over 21 days, consistently. So if you're planning on starting a new habit or doing something new, and usually it could be a small little decision, do you know if you take that small little decision and you do it for 21 days, over the course of 21 days, you're going to develop a routine. And when you develop a routine, you're going to develop a habit. And most people, when they develop the habits over 21 days, they're like, oh, this is easy. I did something small. And then they go for, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for another thing. So they pick another decision, another choice, and they go for 21 days, and they make habits. But here's the problem with, with 21 days of making a habit. You break it quicker than you can make it. If you stop that routine for three days, guess what happens? You break the habit. So I can go consistently make a decision for 21 days, but I break it in three days. And so what happens is, is we go throughout the year, we start off the year saying, okay, well, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to live a new life, be a new year, it's a new me. And so we all have this thing and, and with inside of us that we want to bring change about. So what we're going to do is we're going to change and make these habits. However, we get to a point where we break it and we don't like who we are or where we are. So we come every January and we think, okay, we've got to restart, get a fresh start and, and do this over again. And so what we think is, is that we can just come 
and, and make these goals, and it's going to be good. But if we don't have a consistent plan, then we're going to fail at it. So we, we come, and, and we talked about this, and the reason why we do this and we break our habits is because we drift. We drift from our goals to who we want to be and what we want to become, and we drift. So we started this series saying, when we come in January, and especially spiritually, that we're going to put first things first. And the reason why we say that, and, and I'm talking about this, is because we've drifted, and we tend to drift spiritually. Now, there's an overarching verse that we're talking about this for the, for the course of a few weeks, and it says this in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. So we have to pay careful attention to what we've heard, to what we know, and what we're going to do. Because physically, emotionally, spiritually, we don't want to drift. So we're talking about, in this whole series, in this next few weeks, about aligning our goals, aligning our priorities, and making them first. The most important things in our life need to be first. Thus, first things first. So, when you're talking about first things first, most people, what they do is they go, and if you're a follower of Jesus, they look at the life of Jesus, right? And when you look at the life of Jesus, you see this and that people begin to look at his life and we celebrate great things that he's done for us, right? We go to Christmas and we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And then we go to Easter and we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then we talk a little bit about his public ministry and what he did for three years. But do we really talk about the preparation that was given to Jesus before he actually started his public ministry? Because it's very interesting what happens to Jesus before he launches and starts healing people and touching people and starts teaching. Now, it's in Matthew chapter 4, the preparation of his ministry. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. But it first starts with this, and you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. But let me just give you back background here before we get there. The first thing that happens in Jesus' preparation for ministry to do healings, to do teachings, to do signs and wonders... He gets baptized, and he gets baptized by John the Baptist, thus the name, the Baptist. He was baptizing people. He was Jesus' cousin, and so he goes, and he baptized Jesus, and when Jesus comes up, you've heard it, that the, the heavens open up, and it says the Spirit comes down like a dove, and it says, from heaven, the voice says, this is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. So right there, if you're standing there, there's a couple things that you get to grasp as a spectator of Jesus being baptized. First of all, you understand that he is God's son. And second of all, you understand that he is the new king in Israel. Now, if you go, and I'll just give you a little side note, in Psalm chapter 9, any time a new king came and was, was the king of Israel, it was considered my son. God would consider him their son. You can look at it in and so when he says this, anyone around would know this, that he is truly God's son, but also he is now the new king of Israel, establishing himself. So after that takes place, here's what happens in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. So he has this great event, this great happening. He now knows, and it says in verse, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now just pause there for a second. So if someone says, hey, I'm going to prepare you to do something, and here's what you're going to do. I am going to lead you into temptation. 
And not only am I going to allow it, but I'm going to make sure you get, find your right path and the right way to the wilderness so you can get tempted. Now, I don't know about you, but who wants that? Like, hey, I want to make sure that. I'm going to give you a test, and let's see if you pass this test. But the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, so what? He can be tempted by the devil. Now, in the next verses, here's what happens. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was obviously what? Hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, in this, you've got to understand that he is beginning to tempt Jesus, and it's a, it's a temptation of his divine power. Jesus, are you going to use your divine power? So Satan appeals to his flesh, to his body. Hey, you're hungry, right? And he wants him to use his power outside of his father's approval. So he wants him to turn the stones into bread. And he basically says this, that, it, you know, since you're the son of God, why don't you just do this? Well, Jesus, he wants him to do this outside of the will of the Father. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Jesus always did what his Father wanted. He always pleased his Father, and he always did what his Father wanted. So there's no way he does this. But what happens is, is there's an underlying thing with the temptation. That, uh, what he's doing is he's talking about hunger. But really, you know what he's doing? He's underlining um, he's underlining, uh, hold on a second, he's underlining God's word. And here's what I mean by that. The temptation is this. The temptation is, happens exactly in the Garden of Eden. Okay, so let me back up a bit. It's the, it's the word of God that he's trying to get him at, to, to get to. Because Adam and Eve, when they were in the Garden of Eden, Satan tempted Adam and Eve. And what did he do? He tempted him with the word of God, right? God said, don't eat of the forbidden fruit or you will die, right? And Satan says what? No, surely you won't die. So what's happening here is Satan is challenging Jesus's sonship. He's challenging him as a son. And so he is, uh, the, the, the overarching thing is, hey, you're hungry. But really what he's challenging on, on him is what he's challenging is the word of God. Hey, God says this, then you should do that. And, he, and it's like this, come on, Jesus, You've been, you've been out there 40 days and 40 nights. you got to just be hungry. Come on, just, you know what, Jesus, just do this. Hey, just turn these stones into bread and everything will be good. And since you are the Son of God, or if you are the Son of God, all the doubts of you will be gone. It'll be fine. Just do it, Jesus. But you know what Satan's doing? He is, he is telling him a lie. And here's the lie, and maybe you've heard this lie. The lie is this. That if you're truly God's son, if you're truly one of God's own, then won't he provide for you? So Jesus, if you really are the son of God, he would never let you go hungry. So just turn this bread and just turn the stone into bread and everything will be fine. And so you know what? He does that to us today. Because there's times in our life where life gets hard. And then Satan kind of whispers and says, well, if God really loved you, or if you're really one of his children, then he'd take care of you. He wouldn't let this happen to you. And so Jesus gets challenged on the sustenance and, and the bread and, and underlying the word. And we get challenged too about that 
not sustenance, but about provision and about the care that our Heavenly Father has for us. So what Satan does is, well, this, if he really loves you, then this would not happen to you. And then when life gets tough, all of a sudden you begin to look around and go, well, that, that might just be true. Because if God did really love me, then this wouldn't happen. And so you begin to doubt, does, does God really love me? Does God really care about me? Does God really want to provide for me? And see, if, if the enemy gets you to doubt, then he's got you. And then he's ultimately, your doubt is going to lead to kind of a distance in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Well, if he doesn't, then, then maybe I just got to rethink my whole relationship with God. And then he, he wins. So he's underlying, the, the lie is the word of God. That's what he's challenging him on. And so Jesus, here's how he responds with that challenge. It says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, let me just pause here because Jesus quotes Scripture back at you. So, Satan, you you think you're going to try to get me with God's Word? You think you're going to lie to me? Well, let me just tell you something. He spits it back out at him, and it's Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in the context of Deuteronomy chapter 8, what is the context is that the Israelites are in the wilderness, and as they are in the wilderness, they're there for 40 years. And when they're there, they have to rely solely on, on God, solely. So they're trusting he's leading, he's trusting that he's guiding them and where he's taking them. But he also allows them to be hungry. See, in the desert, they don't really have any food. He allows them to be hungry. And what does he do? He provides for them by giving them manna every day. But God's not just showing them that he is going to be uh, the one that provides. He's actually showing them that you need to uh, live by what I say to you, by every word that comes out of my mouth. It's not what I give you, it's where I'm leading you. And the word of God is what is going to sustain you. So that is what uh, is the context here. And so Jesus is saying back at, at, the, at the enemy, at Satan, and says that this is, I know the word, I know the scripture, and this is not what's going to happen. And he says, Jesus, look, or Satan, look, you want me to use my divine power like a magician. I'm not going to do it. And the reason why Jesus doesn't do it is because he understands this this truth, that feeding the inner spiritual person is more important than feeding your physical. See, it's more important to feed your spiritual person than to feed your physical person. Now why? Because his spiritual person fought off the temptation. Right? Because Jesus knew the word, he was able to fight off the temptation that Satan was throwing at him. Right? Satan comes at him and says, hey, this is what it is. And Jesus goes, well, I'm going to counteract you with Scripture. And he says, I know your lie and you're twisting the truth. And I'm not going to fall for your lie. And I'm not going to fall for the twisting of the truth. Because Jesus says, I know the truth. And here's what it says. And so when, when it comes down to temptation, it's obedience and victory happens when you know the Word of God and you do the Word of God and you actually apply it. And so what Jesus says is, I know the Word of God, but guess what? I'm also going to apply it and he's, he's obedient and he's victorious and he doesn't succumb to the temptation that the enemies laid before him. So that's Jesus in his preparation. And, and as Jesus gets prepared, he passes the test, and then he begins and starts his, his ministry three years in. 
And Jesus, you know, he heals people, he touches people. And then one time he was going through, it says that in, in Mark, or actually in Luke, he's going through a city, and as he's going through a city, this guy who's a leper comes to him and says, hey, hey, Jesus, 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 would you uh, make me clean? And what he's saying is, Jesus, would you heal me? And the reason why he uses the word clean is because lepers had this flesh-eating disease. And if you were a leper, you were not allowed in society. You were put on the outside of the city along with other lepers. Because it's highly contagious, flesh-eating disease. And so you were considered unclean. So they move him out there. So when he comes to Jesus, he says, Jesus, would you really, not only do I want to be healed, but would you restore me back to society? Would you just do that for me, Jesus? And as Jesus is there and he's walking through this town, Luke says that Jesus looks at the man and says, I am willing, be clean. And right there is leprosy goes away. And then, according to the law, that man had to go show himself to the priest and the priest had to deem him clean so he could enter back into society. So what Jesus says to him, he says, okay, you go back and you go to the priest and you tell him that you've been made clean and that now you can be back in the city and your life is restored. But here's what I, I want you to do. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what just happened. What do you mean? Well, well do you th- honestly think the guy who's been touched, who's been made a flesh-eating disease is gone, is going to keep it to himself? Of course not. Now, he goes back to the, to the priest, and then in Luke chapter 5, uh, it's, in, it's in verse 15. Here's what it says. It says, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people come to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So he doesn't keep it to himself. See, it's true of you and me and, and of the, the leper. If something good happens to you, what are you going to do? You share it. You know, now you share it on social media, but you're going to tell somebody. Back then, you're going to tell somebody. You're going to tell somebody now, hey, look, this guy changed my life. This changed me. And so we share good news that we have. So this guy shares the good news of Jesus, what he's done for him. And all of a sudden now, you've got all these crowds of people who are around Jesus. So now he has a mob around him. Everywhere he goes, Jesus is surrounded by crowds because why? They want to see who this Jesus is and what he can do. And believe it or not, if you need to be healed, guess what you're doing? You're going to see this Jesus. Forget the doctor. doctor didn't touch this leper. It was this Jesus. So you have all these people who want to be healed of their sicknesses, their diseases coming, and so Jesus is surrounded. And it's so much so that Jesus was surrounded by people. But look what Jesus did in the next verse in verse 16. It says that the, that the crowds came around and he often withdrew to lonely, lonely places. And what did he do? He prayed. See, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. And so as Jesus is doing this, there's all these people and he realizes I have to get away to re-energize and to recharge. And for some of you, you can totally, you're like, shoot, withdraw, I'll do that in a heartbeat. Silence, space from people, sign me up, I'll do that. 
But Jesus isn't doing that. Like, he's not, I, I, I'm going away to, to be away from people. He's going to be re-energized and recharged. Because for Jesus, the outward journey was re-energized by his inward journey. And what I mean by that is, is Jesus is pouring himself out publicly constantly. He is pouring himself out publicly and healing people and touching people. But he really needs to be recharged inwardly. See, he's drained physically, but he needs to be recharged spiritually. So he withdraws and he prays to his Heavenly Father and he begins to recharge and be intimate with his Heavenly Father and he begins to say, God, what do you want to do? And he aligns himself, he aligns his heart, he aligns his mission, and he aligns who he is with what the Father wants and the Father's will. So anytime he was drained spiritually from pouring out to people and healing people and touching people, it says he withdrew and was intimate with his Heavenly Father. And here's the thing about Jesus. He did it constantly. It wasn't something inconsistently. It wasn't something randomly. He did it consistently. And if you look at the book of Mark, it even says that Jesus would leave early in the morning off the solitary place, and there he would again talk to his heavenly Father. So if you're looking at at Jesus' life, if you're looking at this man, and and he's the, the, the guy that you want to copy, you, you understand this, that he does something consistently. And that is, he has time with his Heavenly Father. And the one thing that he wants you to grasp, and the, and the writers want you to grasp, is this. That a steady stream of God's Word will prevent you from drifting downstream. And I would just add, a steady stream of God's Word and prayer can prevent you from drifting downstream. See, a lot of us, we, we come to this place and we say, how did we get here? This is not who I wanted to be, and this is not what I wanted to become. And I didn't picture myself being here six months into the year, but we find ourselves drifting. And we might find ourselves drifting in, in many other ways, but I think we find ourselves drifting in the most is spiritually. But see, consistency with our Heavenly Father is going to prevent us from drifting further and further from Him. See, so if, if we need to spend time with our Heavenly Father, if we need to you know, have a steady stream of God's Word and a steady stream of God's prayer or praying with the Lord, then how come we're not so good at it? How can we look at Jesus' life and we go, man, I wish I could be so consistent like him. And I wish I just wouldn't have random times and and random weeks when I actually get to spend time with the Lord. Well, I think there's a, a major reason why this is. And here's one of the reasons is we are busy. We are busier than we've ever been before. I mean, think about this. Anytime you are waiting for something or that's an awkward moment, what do you do? You pick up your phone. Right? You pick up your phone, you kind of look busy, kind of, oh man, I just, you just can't handle the awkwardness, can't handle the silence. You know, we have our little notifications that go off. And how many times do we spend looking at our phone? You, you know, it, it's hours. 
whether it's social media, whether it's text messages, whatever, that little notification comes up, we're on it. And things have captured our attention, and, and we're just busy. And it's not just, it's not just that, and it's not just our phones and technology, but we're just busy individuals as it is. But here's what I want you to understand. Busyness is the enemy of intimacy. Let me say that again. Busyness is the enemy of intimacy. You know how I know? Ask, ask somebody. Ask somebody who craves it. Ask somebody who's been hurt by it. Ask the wife who wants her husband to stop working and actually spend time with him, her. Ask the child who is craving attention from their parent, but their parent is too busy to have time for them. Ask the child who has grown up and is now an adult and is just following in the footsteps of their parents. And they're just busy, 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 and they don't have time for people, and they don't have time for relationships. See, any time, any relationship that is characterized by busyness is going to have a hard time finding intimacy. And it's no different with your Heavenly Father. See, we go and we go and we go. I mean, think about this. When someone asks you about your week, what, what do you say? Oh, man, it was a busy week. Right? It was a busy week. Now, can you really tell them what you, what you did all week? No, you just say busy because you're tired. You're physically tired. And so we have a lot of things that demand our time. There's a lot of things of the urgency, and there's a lot of responsibility, right, that demand our, our time. And it, the busyness looks like the nine to five. It looks like time with your spouse or your family. You know, making dinner, helping with homework, trying to relax, but you can't. I mean, it, there's all this urgent things that happen in our week. And see, we go and we go and we go, and we don't take time to be with our Heavenly Father. See, we go until we can't go anymore. And failing to pause and to stop with Him is a result of burnout. And when we burn out, we're tired and we feel empty. We feel empty inside. The busier we are, see, the more we push our relationship with our Heavenly Father and we push Him away. Then at what point we have drifted. And see, nobody likes that feeling, and nobody wants to drift from their relationship with their Heavenly Father. But the best thing to prevent this is to give God the first of your day. I know that there are others that say, it doesn't matter when you spend time with Him, as long as you do it. That's true. However, I believe spending time with Him first thing in the morning has its advantages. See, I believe it sets a tone for your day. When you spend time with Him, it helps you to respond the way He would. It gets you to a place where you ask Him to go before you, and He does. See, your day now becomes centered around Him. And the other reason is most of the time, we don't do it in any other part of the day. See, as your day gets going, so do all the other tasks you have to do. See, as you pay attention to those matters that are pressing, Spending time with God goes further and further down the list. 
and it's not as pressing as other items. So before you know it, the day gets away from you and you don't spend any time with him. See, if you do decide to spend time with him, it seem, can seem forced or you don't give him a, your attention at all. And maybe you just try to get through it so you can check off the box. See, it doesn't need to be a check in the box, not something that you just automatically do. It needs to be a steady stream of God's word and prayer that is consistent. Not to be random at best, because to be intimate, you must be consistent. And when we're consistent, it changes things. See, when you're consistent in your walk and your relationship with the Heavenly Father, the first thing it does is it helps overcome temptation. See, the enemy knows where you are weak. He knows what tempts you. And just like what he did to Jesus, he plays to the desires of our flesh. See, the enemy wants you to take the bite and fall into temptation. He wants you to, to try to get you to get or have something now that perhaps you may get later. See, when he tempted Jesus in three ways, Jesus had all of everything that Satan had tempted him with. See, by being God's son, Jesus already had sustenance, protection, and authority. And Jesus overcame the temptation because he knew the scripture. And that is why we need a steady stream of God's word in our life. When we have that, we know that the scripture, we can combat the enemy's schemes. And with the help of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and help us strengthen us knowing the word of God, we are able not to fall or be susceptible to temptation. See, that's where victory comes from. Knowing, obeying, and performing what God has asked us to do. See, but the opposite is true as well. If we neglect a steady stream of God's word, we are likely to fall into temptation. When we don't know the word, then it's easy to fall for the lies that are presented to us. See, if you're empty spiritually, how can the Holy Spirit strengthen you? It is, see, you won't be successful. It is better to know God's word than to satisfy our own human desires. And just like Jesus, we need some time to pray. See, he withdrew to recharge by prayer. And prayer is one of the most important acts you and I can do. Because prayer changes circumstances. And everyone knows this whether they believe in God or not. Because when they're going through a tough time, people don't mind asking you, hey, will you pray for me? They will do anything because they're at their point where they just need a turnaround. And see, prayer releases God to do something. And when we ask God to do a turnaround, we ask him to do the miraculous. And it happens when we pray. But you also have to be willing to pray it through, to see it through. You don't just pray and say, okay, that's it. No, you pray until something happens or until you see it through. Prayer isn't just for those times of help. It's also for our daily communion with our Heavenly Father. See, it is coming to Him on a daily basis and allowing Him to speak to you as well as 
you communicating back. Allowing him to not only transform situations, but to transform your life. To transform you. And this tends and, and to happen randomly as life gets in the way. But this needs to be a priority. And Jesus made it a priority because it doesn't say sometimes he withdrew. It says often. See, because there was more, more times than, than he did. And in Mark, he even records that he, uh, he goes away from a time and gets away from people into a solitary place. And we need to withdraw so we can have a stronger relationship with our Heavenly Father. See, in life, there's many things that can sustain us. Food sustains our hunger. Relationships sustain our loneliness and our need for compassion. Many things in life sustain us physically and even emotionally. But nothing can sustain us like the intimacy with our Heavenly Father. See, there's nothing in the world that comes even close to what we can receive from an intimate relationship with Him. And since that is true, how is your spiritual inner man or how is your spiritual inner woman? How is your relationship with your Heavenly Father? How would you describe it? See, you may be thinking it needs a a bit of tweaking or maybe tons of improvement. But no matter where you are, you can begin to change that. Begin to start spending time daily with Him. After all, a steady stream of God's Word can prevent you from drifting downstream.
Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.